Welcome to the Air Health, Our Health podcast. I'm Erica, a lung and ICU doctor. Every day in my ICU and clinic, I see patients who are there from breathing unhealthy air. And I started Air Health, Our Health to focus more upstream on the importance of healthy air for healthy people and healthy economies. Thanks for joining me. I am very excited to share this podcast with you. Watching the rise of tobacco use via e-cigarettes and vaping has been really scary for those of us who deal every day with the scourge of tobacco and understand the history of big tobacco addicting teens via flavors. I have three young children and definitely worry about this industry who uses the addictiveness of nicotine on young kids' brains as its business model. Watching history repeat itself can make you want to give up sometimes, but my podcast guests today give me hope, and I hope they do that for you too. My husband and I have been watching Parks and Rec during this quarantine time, and the honesty, energy, and sincerity of my two guests today has a very strong Leslie Nope vibe, if Leslie were engaged in helping defeat tobacco. A couple acronyms get thrown around, including TCHA, which stands for Teen Community Health Advocates, and TRL, which stands for Tobacco Retail Licensing. Listen, enjoy, and feel free to send me your own stories about flavored tobacco or tobacco and youth in your life via the Anchor app or the website or Instagram account. Today on the podcast, I am delighted to have two guests, um, Gabriella Shirtcliffe and Karen Ard. Gabriella has the honor of being the youngest guest we've ever had on the podcast. She is currently a junior at Summit High School. She is the community health advocate for the Deschutes County Health Services Prevention Team and co-facilitates Teen Community Health Advocates, the youth committee of the Shared Future Coalition. Gabriella is passionate about raising awareness about drug use and abuse, especially among her peers, and helping end it. In 2018, Gabriella was nominated for Ben's Young Woman of the Year for her work with Pacific Crest Middle School and World Muse. In her free time, she participates in speech and debate, softball, coding classes and competitions, and Poetry Out Loud, a national poetry recitation competition. With two younger brothers, one of them with special needs, she prides herself on her ability to catch any VTech toy being thrown at any velocity. Karen Ard earned her Master's of Public Health from California State University, Fresno, with an emphasis on community health. She has been working in the public health field for over nine years, where she focused primarily on providing policy, systems, and environmental change strategies to promote healthy and active living for diverse populations. She has been in her current role as the Tobacco Prevention and Education Program Coordinator for Deschutes County for two and a half years. In her free time, she enjoys traveling, trying new restaurants, and taking walks with her one-year-old French bulldog, Griffey. Welcome both of you to the Air Health, Our Health podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So Gabriella, I'd like to start with you. How old are you and how did you become engaged with the vaping issue? Yes, I am 16. I'll be 17 in February, so it's getting pretty close. And um, my freshman year, actually, um, my health teacher came up to me and was all like, hey, there's this opportunity for Deschutes County Health Services is looking for kind of an intern position to work with them. And I jumped right on that. I submitted my application one for the interview um, with TCHA and, you know, the rest is kind of history. So what did you see on the ground in the hallways of the school back when people went to in-person school regarding e-cigarettes and vaping among your peers? Yeah. So um, back when we were in person, which obviously we haven't been since last March, but um, you're kind of always getting little reminders of vaping around you. So you get those discarded puff bars or you know, carton wrappers in, in the parking lot, or you walk into the bathroom and uh-oh, they're all closed because of drug paraphernalia, paraphernalia has been found or whatever. Um, so that's always frustrating, but always those little reminders around you. 
Did you notice people starting in middle school as well before you got to high school? Yeah, um, in my personal experience, no. I had no idea what was happening until high school, um, just because I don't think I was very observant back then. I wasn't really looking out or paying attention for it. Um, but I know that it, it was there. The numbers show that it was there. I just didn't personally see it. What do you think tobacco companies are doing to try to attack, uh, attract teens and, and young kids to vaping and e-cigarettes? Yeah, so there are obviously those modes that have been used across the nation um, to try and catch the attention of, of youth and teens. So advertising that'll specifically target teens and uh, ton fla fun flavors and stuff that'll specifically target teens. So what have you been doing to try to get your peers to either quit e-cigarettes or not take them up in the first place? Yeah, so as part of TCHA, we've had a myriad of projects with that as um, one of our larger goals. And um, we have designed, we have our Instagram, so we're trying to, you know, promote different techniques and alternate activities and just raising the facts and awareness about vaping. Um, we've been able to create some cessation materials to distribute um, throughout our county um, that are youth oriented and focused. Um, and we've also just, you know, been able to try and get those voices um, of youth and incorporate those in everything that we do at our level, but also bringing those to decision makers and making sure that the policy that's going to be helping with that is bringing youth voices and perception to lawmakers, to decision makers, and getting our voices heard. And what decisions do you think lawmakers and those policymakers and school officials can make to help support kids in staying away from e-cigarettes and quitting? Yeah, so for example, last year, um, CCHA, I had the as part of TCHA, I had the chance to go testify um, in front of the Oregon Congress um, about tobacco retail licensing, and that was a really awesome opportunity to um, kind of bring those youth perspectives to um, those decision makers. Um, and so that's one way that we were able to lend our hand, lend our voice to that. But obviously, any policy um, that's at a state or district level, or even at a school level, even if it's those small changes where, oh, okay, instead of um, suspending students for um, drug violations, let's connect them instead with counselors and such. That was one to shoot's project that um, some of our cohorts have been working on. Um, all those little changes add up to make kind of affect that overall cultural change. You mentioned tobacco retail licensing and how that can be important. I think a lot of teenagers don't have tobacco retail licensing on their minds all the time. Can you tell us what that is and how it might help? Yeah, so TRL or tobacco retail licensing is, Karen will probably be able to describe this a little bit better than mine, but in general, it's a process of like registering um, retail locations that are selling tobacco in the way that you would with alcohol. Well, speaking of Karen, Karen, thank you for being here. Can you tell me um, from your perspective in public health, what is the burden of tobacco and e-cigarette use in your county in Oregon? Yeah, I. Um, so in Deschutes County, we have seen a pretty significant rise in um, vaping among our young people. Um, in 2016, our rates were about 19%. And in 2018, we saw about 29%. Um, well, our conventional cigarettes were going down. So for us, you know, it's always great to see, you know, tobacco rates go down. But when you start seeing a new 
um, brand of tobacco products increasing, you know, it, it's a cause for concern. Um, we know that, you know, can, um, e-cigarettes and vaping can lead to um, young people switching to conventional cigarettes as they get older. And, you know, we, we really want to protect kids from smoking in general and see those rates. We, you know, we really want to make sure that we're protecting all of our young people um, from getting into, you know, a, a smoking, um, you know, into smoking. So really that's our biggest burden. We, you know, we have uh, other issues here, but I think for us, you know, that, that number is pretty um, concerning and we really are, you know, putting a lot of effort into protecting our young people. What do you both see that people don't understand about cigarettes or vaping and e-cigarette use? Karen, why don't I start with you? I, I think it's really, you know, focusing on that initiation. Um, we know that um, for the most part, 90% of young people start before the age of 18. And those that, you know, and by 20, the age of 26, you know, almost 100% have tried. And so we know that, you know, it's linked directly to that brain development and the time that kids are, you know, brains are still forming. And if you introduce, um, you know, nicotine and smoking into that, how it can change and create that cycle of addiction. So I think initiation plays a huge role in the work that we do and really focusing our efforts on protecting them. And it seems like flavors, again, are the main way that tobacco is trying to addict young people, kind of like they did with combustible cigarettes, you know, a generation ago and the candy cigarettes and the different flavors and menthol. It seems like they're rinsing and repeating with the e-cigarette. Is that correct? Yeah, I think, um, you know, in general, we were seeing such a decline with conventional cigarettes and, you know, and Gabriella can speak to this, kids kind of had that idea of like, oh, that's gross, you know, um, no, nobody smokes conventional cigarettes as a young person. And then these flavored products came back on the market um, in, you know, a different form, new, newer technology, and we saw the rise increase and, you know, kids aren't purchasing, you know, the tobacco plain flavor, they're purchasing, you know, raspberry and cotton candy and gummy bear. Um, so we know that the flavors are um, contributing to the increase in use for sure. Absolutely. Well, here in Oregon, we passed measure 108 this fall, which will raise the taxes on cigarettes and tax e-cigarettes for the first time. You know, not enough in my opinion, but that's some editorializing. Um, I understand this money will help partially offset the devastating health effects of tobacco and also reserve at least 10% for cessation, at least is the intention. Um, what programs do you think that 10% might fund? Hope that, you know, the, the funds will go towards, you know, prevention and cessation resources. Um, you know, continuing to support initiatives that uh, limit youth access, as well as, you know, creating policies to help protect um, everyone from secondhand smoke exposure um, and, you know, really renormalizing smoking in public places as well. So, um, you know, hopeful that you know, with, with an increase in funds from the tobacco taxes, um, we will, it will go to supporting people quitting and um, that prevention as well. Absolutely. So I'm, you know, working in the ICU all the time now. So, you know, COVID-19 has consumed a lot of my life. 
And we know that it causes a much more fulminant and rapid disease, it seems, in you know, people who've been smoking. And so I'm also hoping that potentially we can decrease the toll and the death and the illness from COVID-19 if we can get more people to quit and get the cigarettes out of their life. What other differences do you see um, tobacco control measures potentially making at your county level? Gabriella, you want to go first? <laughs> sure. Um, being able to have, you know, like I said earlier, those policy changes at whatever level they be. Um, in public health, we talk a lot about, you know, system change, environmental change, and, and policy change um, contributes to, again, a cultural change. You know, it takes so much more than just, for example, just education. You know, you can't just, you know, if we just tell kids that smoking is so bad for them, they'll know and they'll stop and we'll eliminate this problem. Uh, that doesn't work. Um, I mean, I know that every single kid, um, at least at my high school, has written an essay on um, the rise and fall of vaping or um, about vaping in general. And that doesn't mean that automatically everyone is suddenly an advocate against big tobacco. Um, you know, there's this perception that, oh, it's fine for me to do, but as soon as it's your little brother or sister, um, that perception shifts. And so changing that cultural idea, um, it's those, you know, shared sentiments, you know, across um, all of us is, is key. And that's what these policy changes can do. Do you feel like you're seeing a difference with the efforts you've made and that the county and state have been making to try to decrease e-cigarette use in kids, or is it just continuing to go up? I think, you know, it's a very slow change and it's not something that's going to happen overnight. And um, I've really only been involved with this work for a couple years. And so it's such a small, small window to look at, especially if you're collecting data, you're not going to see huge differences because you're only collecting data every so often. But you know, I like to think that, yes, we are making a change and we're at least, if it's not making a change right now, we're laying the foundation for that change to compound over time um, and create more and more of an environment where, um, you know, kids can make healthy decisions. Absolutely. Any other hopes you have for the short and long-term future of your community in terms of tobacco and e-cigarettes? I mean, one point I always want to make is that our generation, my generation was so, so close to being one of the first tobacco-free generations ever. If you look at like Deschutes County data in 2018, you know, cigarette smoking rates were down to 7%, which is crazy. If you look at, you know, talking to adults who went to high school, you know, in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, like that's an insane reduction. But in that same year, vaping rates were at, at 29%. And so it's, really frustrating to look that we almost escaped. We almost took away an entire audience, an entire population to draw from, from big tobacco. Um, and seeing that we were so close and we didn't quite make it is just incredibly, you know, it makes me angry. Um, and so my hope is that, you know, we can reclaim that title of being almost the almost generation to being able to be the first tobacco free generation. Amen. Karen, what about you? Yeah, I I think for me, um, I I would love to see my role and job be less <laughs> uh, needed in the community as well. Um, I think you know tobacco control has always been um, kind of the leader in um, public health, especially when it comes to policy, 
And, you know, we had made such great strides across, you know, the, the, the world, um, you know, since the 90s and to kind of see um, us having to go back and kind of redo everything because of vaping, I think has been, you know, definitely, you know, difficult. Um, and it's a new, it's, it's a new thing. I, I love that we have Gabriella on our team and can provide that youth perspective because, you know, I feel like I was in high school yesterday, but unfortunately that's not true. Um, and it is such a, it's such a new, you know, a new topic. And we want to make sure that we're reaching our young people and meeting them where they're at and understanding how, you know, this is, this is kind of different than what we were, you know, um, exposed to in high school. Um, and, you know, with social media and having all of this advertising and promotion, you know, on both ends of, you know, prevention and, you know, um, promotion of these products, um, you know, it's a different world that we're, you know, just kind of tiptoeing into um, with our, you know, previous tobacco control policies. So I love having the youth perspective and the ability to connect with Gabriella and the rest of our TCHA team to say, hey, what does it look like in the schools? And, you know, how can we, you know, help make a difference? And so I think, you know, we're, we're learning from past experiences as well as, you know, kind of paving the way for a new um, a new generation. And I think that's, um, I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's, there's definitely hope. Um, and as long as we're, you know, putting efforts towards prevention and education and policy, um, and really focusing on how we change those systems, you know, within the schools and then, you know, how we operate um, as a county, as a state, as a nation, um, you know, we can really make a difference. Absolutely. Well, thank you both so much for your efforts. Um, Gabriella, I also hope that you are the first tobacco-free generation by the time you graduate high school. Let's know I'm a lung and ICU doctor. And, you know, if we got rid of all the tobacco diseases, you know, I'd still have patients, but I'd have way fewer, which I would be completely happy with. <laughs> thank you very much for being on the Air Health, Our Health podcast and um, keep fighting. Thank you. Right. Thank you. I was so touched by Gabriella's anger at her generation almost escaping big tobacco, but having tobacco reach out and addict another generation via the tried and true method of flavor additives. We should be angry about this. I know I am. I was also touched at the protectiveness of her peers towards their younger siblings, when some teens will vape but then worry when they see their younger family members take it up. It reminds me of the anguish my patients share with me about wanting to quit their own addiction when they see their children or grandchildren take up tobacco themselves and they know what it will mean for their own health consequences. It is also important to remember the racist history of big tobacco, particularly around mentholated cigarettes and tobacco products. I often tell my patients that smoking a menthol cigarette is like smoking a cigarette with a cough drop. It is designed to suppress your cough so that you can keep smoking or vaping and get addicted. Communities of color and black children are more likely to see regular tobacco advertising than whiter communities and have tobacco retailers closer to their schools, which increases experimental youth tobacco use. The history of the predatory relationship of big tobacco and black communities is a sobering one. We are currently releasing this episode during Black History Month. If you want to learn more about the history of tobacco in black communities, and menthols in particular, listen to the third podcast episode called Tobacco and Healthy Black Lives with Serena Boston Ashby. If you want to learn more about health effects in general of e-cigarettes, listen to podcast number eight with Dr. Jeffrey Gotts. 
I honestly identified so much with Karen's desire for her role in tobacco control to be less needed. I hope that one day I can retire because I see when lung doctors are no longer needed because the air we breathe is cleaner. It is fascinating to think about the number of people who are having to work to deal with the aftermath of big tobacco. Think about how much money it costs to have someone stay in the ICU, to have to come see me in the lung clinic, pay for thousands of dollars of inhalers, or to have to actually hire people in counties and states across the country just to help people stay away from this product that is perfectly legal. Tobacco is a drain on our economies, both at the national level, the state level, and I also see how it drains the individuals and families I care for, robbing them of both money and loved ones. It is important to do all we can to fight for a world free of corporate tobacco. I hope you will consider taking an action today or donating to an organization working to stop big tobacco. Talk to your kids or youth in your life about vaping and e-cigarettes. Make sure that the first time they hear about this is from you, not their peers or someone trying to sell something next to the slurpy aisle or by the candy display in the pharmacy. You can find resources about how to talk to kids at the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids. Find out whether where you live has tobacco retail licensing. If it doesn't, push at every level of government to ensure that it does. You can do this by looking up who represents you at the county, state, and municipal level and writing them an email or giving their office a call. Check out the American Lung Association's State of Tobacco Control Report to find out where your state and your county may be falling short. You can then contact the appropriate representative to express how you no longer want your money going to cover the high costs that tobacco causes, driving up our health care expenditures, leading to increased sick days, and taking people from us prematurely. If your time is limited, but you're in a position to donate, consider donating to the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids. And if it's before February 14th, 2021, please consider donating to or joining the Air Health, Our Health, Fight for Air Climb for the American Lung Association. You can see links for all of this in the action items in the show notes and on the accompanying website post. We're coming to the end of the podcast. For more information about the importance of healthy air, please visit airhealthourhealth.org and follow on Instagram and Facebook. Remember, if you do nothing else, don't light things on fire and breathe them into your lungs. This applies to tobacco, diesel fuel, forests, and more. Thanks for joining me today. I am a full-time physician and not an epidemiologist or public health expert. This podcast is for your education and entertainment, but should not be interpreted as individual medical advice. Please consult with your own healthcare team to determine what is right for your health. Thank you and stay safe.